for your word, for its truth, for its goodness, for, for its wisdom. Uh, and yet it's, it's difficult at times and it challenges us, it stretches us, it requires much of us. Uh, it's not always easy. And so this morning as we dive into your word, would, uh, would you give me wisdom as I uh, help unpack it? Would you give us all wisdom as we help uh, to hear it well? Um, just bless this time. Amen. Uh, all right. Turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Uh, for those of you who are new with us, uh, or uh, we are in a sermon series in the book of Leviticus, which I know is kind of weird, uh, and yet it's been so good. Uh, I've loved it so much. Uh, but this is where I want to start this morning. Matthew 22, starting with verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And of course they're talking about all of the Old Testament, and more specifically they're talking about the Torah, and, uh, and for sake of, of this sermon, ser sermon we, could, we could just as easily be talking about Leviticus, which is housed in the center of all of that. So, which is the greatest commandment in the law? 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So this is the main thing. This, this is the main thing. This is what all of the law is ultimately about. This is the reason for Leviticus. This is, this is the reason for Leviticus. To help us to love God and to love our neighbors to the best of our ability. God is forming this new nation. Jesus is ruling a new kingdom. Uh, but however we want to talk about that, uh, this is supposed to be a nation, a tribe, a kingdom of love. Ultimate, at the center of all of it, this is the main thing. This is supposed to be a new group of people whose central ethic is one of love. Where, where we're reclaiming the original call that Adam and Abram both had to be a blessing to the whole world. And it starts small, it starts locally, it starts contextually by loving our neighbors. So all of the law must be filtered through this lens. This is all of the law hangs on these two commandments. So when we approach the law, all of it must be filtered through this lens. How can these words, these instructions, these rituals, these rules help me to love my neighbors and be a blessing to the world around me? Uh, now, our time in Leviticus has brought me to the point I've been fearing for months uh, I have to talk about sex today. Uh, and if that's not difficult enough, I'd be a coward 
if I didn't spend a few moments talking about homosexuality this morning as well, because, because it's in there, and we'll, we'll read it here in a moment. And so it, it deserves to be discussed. So we're going we're gonna to look at a big section of text this morning, chapters 18 through 20 in the book of Leviticus. But I took you to Matthew 22 first because we have to know the overall context, the overall goal, the main point of this section before we can understand the minutia of these individual chapters. Chapters 18 through 20 are a package deal. They come together and they fit together in this nice little triad. Both 18 and 20 on the the bread part of this sandwich here, the, the outsides of this little section, talk about sexuality. Mostly all the things not to do, the, the people not to sleep with, to be frank. Uh, but these chapters, 18 and 20 in the book of Leviticus, they flank chapter 19, which is 37 verses of somewhat random uh, rules and regulations. There's, there's not a, a total theme to chapter 19. There's a, there's a bunch of different things just kind of thrown into this, this chapter. Uh, and, and that's why in the NIV, the, the title of uh, chapter 19 actually calls it various laws, like whatever that, whatever that means. It's been so specific all along. And then here's a chapter of various laws. Uh, but at the center of chapter 19 which is at the center of this section, is verse 18. At the very center of the very center is verse 18. And it's what Jesus was quoting in Matthew 22. It's where we get, love your neighbor as yourself. It's Leviticus 19, 18. It's at the very center of the very center of this section. The whole thing hinges around this verse. Love your neighbor as yourself. At the heart of all of these holiness codes, these rules about holy living, is the command to love our neighbor. That's the reason for the rules. Sandwiched between all of these rules about sexuality and justice and treating people right and trying to live a life of holiness is this mandate to love our neighbors. Why would we keep the holiness codes? Why would we try to live a holy life? Because they'll help us to love our neighbors better. They'll help us to treat people well and to be a blessing to the world. Why, why would we abstain from corrupt sexuality of all kinds? Because our neighbors get hurt and not helped, cursed and not blessed when we use intimacy corruptly. So, I'm coming right out of the gate with my main point this morning. There's no bearing the lead in this sermon. Here's, here's the thesis. All of the laws hang on these two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. So everything we do must be aimed at ultimately loving God, loving our neighbors, and being a blessing to the world. And if that's not happening then we've somehow missed the mark in our quest for holiness and we need to tr turn from those kind of behaviors that have us off kilter in some way. Okay, a little more context. Uh, first thing, turn to chapter 18. Leviticus 18. This is the way, this is the, way the section begins. 
Uh, Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. That's That phrase is going to come up often, so pay attention to that phrase. Pay attention to what it means. I am the Lord your God. Uh, You must not do as they do in Egypt, which is where they came from, right? They're coming out of Egypt. They're now the the free people of God trying to figure out what it means to live as God's free people. Uh, and, And so he's saying, you must not do as they did in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as, as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. So d- don't do what they did before. Don't do th- what they're doing ahead of you, where I'm taking you. Don't, don't do any of that. Don't do any- you must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for whoever obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. He keeps saying this. So that's how, that's how the section begins. Now turn over to, uh, to Leviticus 20, starting uh, in, in uh, verse 22, which is almost at the end of the section. This is, this is the, the bookend of, of the section. Verse 22. Keep all my decrees and laws and follow them, so that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out graphic language there. You must not live according to the customs of the nations I am going to drive out before you because uh, they did all these things, I abhorred them. But I said to you, you will possess their land. I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nation. So he begins the section. The section begins with saying, don't do like they did in Egypt where you came from. Don't do like they do in Canaan where I'm sending you. I am the Lord your God. And then it ends, the whole section ends with basically the same thing. Don't do as these other tribes are doing where I'm sending you because if you do, I will vomit, the land will vomit you out of its mouth. It'll kick the land, your actions will kick you out of the land. So chapter 18 begins with not doing the things, the practices of the places you came from. You have this sacred calling to be different, to be set apart, uh, to not bring with you the corruption that you left behind. And then where you're going, don't assimilate into the corruption that awaits you. Don't find yourself intermingled in its corruption. You are supposed to be different, to be holy, so be different and holy. And then chapter 20 ends with, with, uh, with not doing the things of the place I'm sending you. You've been set apart from the nations to be a new kind of people. And if you violate these commands, the land will vomit you out. Important to note here is that the Torah, including Leviticus, was edited together while the Israelites were in exile. Uh, it, was all, it was all put together into a book while the Israelites are sitting in exile. So, of course, they would ask this question, how did this happen to us? How did we get here? We're not in our place. We're not able to worship the way that we want to worship. Well, we, we have been vomited out of the land. We're not in the place where we're supposed to be. So I think this, this section helps, us, uh, helps the exiles and it can help us to understand what got them carried away. Their ancestors 
didn't follow God's decrees. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. They didn't live in right standing with God. They didn't live wholly different lives. They had assimilated into the exact same way of living that all these other tribes had, and eventually the land vomited them out. It spit them out into what we call exile. It didn't go well with them, uh, and they ended up spit out of their own land. The context of chapter 18 through 20 uh, is about living faithfully as to avoid the natural and supernatural consequences of unfaithfulness. This is the best way to live, is to live in accordance with the way that God wants us to live. And if we don't, it seems like there's both natural and supernatural consequences of that sort of unfaithfulness. Second piece of context before we really dive into to the text itself. Second thing worth noting. Chapters 18 and 20 this morning are about sexuality, not just homosexuality. I promise you I will talk about homosexuality, which you're all dying for, and I, I can't wait to talk about But I have to say up front, these these are ultimately chapters about sexuality, not just homosexuality. Out of 57 verses about sexuality, only two even mention homosexuality. So uh, I'm not going to uh, totally avoid that issue this morning, but I'm also not going to let it dominate my sermon. Is that fine? There are millions of ways that we see sexual immorality or corruption in our world today, so I'm just, I'm not particularly interested in singling out one issue as the lightning rod of all sexual issues. Leviticus doesn't do that, the Bible doesn't do that, Jesus doesn't even mention it, and Paul barely does. So I'm, I'm just not going to spend too much time there this morning. I, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to talk about homosexuality if you would like. Trust me, I am. This wouldn't be the first time that I've had to do that here as a part of this church. Uh, uh, I'm only here in this pulpit because we had to wrestle with that in my interview weekend. Uh, I'm willing to talk about it, but I think there's a better setting than here in the pulpit. Uh, uh, There can be places where we can actually talk with each other and have conversation, and where it's not just me talking and you either agreeing with me, getting mad at me, or having a million unanswered questions that I can't answer because this isn't the setting to do it, okay? So, if you wanna talk, we can talk, but this this isn't the place, so I'm just not gonna do that. Okay. Chapter 18, Leviticus 18. We're just going to kind of walk through the chapter real quick. Uh, If you have your Bible on your lap, that will be helpful. AJ can try to follow along with me, but good luck because I'm just, I'm moving quick and we're skipping through some things because this kind of gets, there's some parts of every verse that are kind of repetitive. So we're just, we're just kind of moving. Okay. Chapter 18, starting with verse 6 now. No one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am the Lord. Seems fair, but they wouldn't have written it if if it weren't a problem, I I would guess. Verse 7. Do not dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother. She is your mother. Uh, Or I think you have to read that like, she is your mother. Like, I think you have to say it that way because... Uh, that's gross. Uh, She is your mother. Uh, Verse 9, do not have sexual relations with your sister, uh, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether she was born in the same home or elsewhere. 
uh, do not have sexual relations with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, that would dishonor you. Seems obvious. Verse 14, do not dishonor your father's brother by approaching his wife to have sexual relations. She is your aunt. Uh, Again, you have to say it like that. Verse 15, do not have sexual relations with your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. Uh, 16, do not have sexual relations with your brother's wife. That would dishonor your brother. Do Do not have sexual relations with both a woman and her daughter. Do not have sexual relations with either her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter. They are her close relatives. That is wickedness. 19, do not approach a woman to have sexual relations during the uncleanness of her monthly period. Uh, 20, do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself with her. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Uh, I think I'm getting back to that, or I might have cut it out of my notes. I can't remember. Uh, 22, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. That's, that's our verse. I'll, I'll get back to it. I'll get back to it. 23, do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. Uh, 24, do not defile yourself in any of these ways because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you came, uh, became Defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its, its inhabitants. That's what they're doing in the land where I'm sending you. Please don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Okay, a few things of note. All of these sexual prohibitions were given because they destabilized the primary bond of the community, the family. A family is so important in this time, and it still is so important today. And for some reason, we devalue uh, the, the actual value of family. And, and so a lot of what's going on here is you need to protect families. You need to take care of families. Sexuality is meant to pro- promote life, to promote health, to build families, to create community. And all of these corrupt practices that we just read here actually harm the family instead of building it up. Uh, these are regulation, These regulations are helping us to keep peace and harmony in the community, which starts in the home. I mean, still so practical today, right? Hopefully some of these things aren't things that we have to say today. Some of them probably are, unfortunately, But the point behind all of this remains the same today, that our sexuality uh, has a way of corrupting entire family units and and can lead to the breakdown uh, of the community itself. And we need to fight for for families and for community uh, in whatever way that we possibly can. The point of sexual morality, ethics, proper sexuality, is about love and care for others. It's about taking care and not taking advantage. It's about selflessness and not selfishness. So that's the point. Our sexuality should help people and honor people and be what's best for people. Uh, and unfortunately, our world and even the church, we've seen so many examples of corrupt sexuality within the church. 
and especially lately, story after story after story, where uh, our world and our church has so many ways for sexuality to get perverted and to be harmful. So Leviticus here is calling us to a new sexual ethic as a part of being God's new community, a community of holiness and of love. Let's take sexuality serious because it is a serious issue. So let's do this thing right. And let's do it in a way that both honors God and honors neighbors in a way that leads to a greater love of God and a greater love of neighbor, a way that actually blesses our world instead of uh, contributing to the curse. Okay, I, I, I told you that's brief. We're just, we're flying through. Chapter 19, doing the, the, the same sort of thing. Chapter 19, verse 3. Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. So we've transitioned now out of talking about sexuality to just, we're talking about justice. We're talking about how we treat people well. We're talking about uh, uh, doing, the, doing the best for the community. We're talking about having proper relationship with God. And so uh, if some of these things kind of ring like the Ten Commandments, uh, that's because a lot of them come straight out of the Ten Commandments, or at least are intimately connected. So verse 3, each of you must respect your mother and father. And you must observe the Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. Verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. You want to live holy? We need need to take care of the people that live on the margins of society because they matter and they, they need your help. Verse 11, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another, uh, do not swear falsely by my name or, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Do not defraud your neighbors or rob them. You're coming into this new community, you may be surrounded by people that are already there we're trying to be a different kind of people. Do not take advantage of one another. Do not, do not defraud your neighbor. You're supposed to love your neighbors. How can you love them when we're defrauding our neighbors or robbing from them? Verse 15, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. We're not looking to, 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 to be on either side of the equation. We're treating all people fairly. We're treating all people well. We're treating all people with love. Verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two, two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Uh, and then uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of things that I just need to skip over for time. Down to verse 33. When foreigners reside among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigners residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights, an honest ephah and an honest hin. 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. Okay, a few more things of note there. That's a bunch. And and I skipped over a few things. Some are kind of ritualistic and things that uh, uh, aren't aren't as literally applicable to us, but there's, man, there's so much in there. A a few things of note. All of these rules are about justice, about taking care of the vulnerable and the weak and the outcast, uh, including our parents, including uh, all sorts of folks. It's about loving our neighbors and blessing the world. One reminder of this is this constant use of the phrase, I am the Lord, throughout this chapter. It gets used 26 times in chapter 19. The same phrase, over and over, 26 times, I think it might be important. I am the Lord is a callback to Egypt. And that's, that's the way it kind of ends, the last, well, the second to the last one, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. All of these I am the Lords are supposed to be this massive callback to Egypt where God rescued his people. He heard their cries and he came to the side of the oppressed. And so now he's reminding us to do the exact same thing. I am the Lord reminds us to let everything we do and how we act and how we treat people be guided by our own story, which is one which is that love and grace and freedom has been given to us in our lowest moments. When we were in our metaphorical Egypts, we were rescued and brought into metaphorical promised lands. We serve a God who hears our cry and who comes to our assistance, who rescues us in in our moments of Egypt and frees us into, into the promised land. And so we should be people who similarly reach out to others with love, grace, and freedom. And then, if we don't, if we don't care for others, if we don't ca- take care of the marginalized, if we don't love our neighbors and bless the world, if we don't treat sexuality with the seriousness that it is supposed to be treated with, then chapter 20 comes along and, and re, restates some of these sexual laws, but it includes some punishments. And ultimately, the final punishment is that we will be vomited out of the land, which doesn't sound pleasant. Okay, as promised, a few thoughts on homosexuality. Uh, this is where I would start. Scripture... Scripture is God's word for all time. Uh, it's, and I love it. I love it. It's, it's God-breathed, and it's inspired, and it is to be taken seriously. But it is also contextual. We, and we read it that way, whether you want to think that you do or not. But it is, it is contextual. It is written to specific people in a specific place at a specific time, and Leviticus is no different. It's a contextual book. It's set in a certain season of uh, historical context. So we have to think about the context that these verses were written into. 
We've been doing it all throughout this, the sermon series, right? Uh, I've been constantly trying to remind us of the context of this, and then we're trying our best to faithfully interpret this uh, for life in 2019. We've been doing this work, uh, uh, and, and it, it requires it of, of these verses, these two verses on homosexuality as well. At, at this time in human history, they have no concept of long-term, loving, committed, monogamous homosexuality. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It's not even on the radar. They've never heard of it. It's not a thing. It's never existed at at this time. Now, obviously, same-sex attraction and and some forms of, of homosexual behavior must have existed or they wouldn't have we wouldn't have this writing, right? We're writing into some sort of context, so it, mu- it, it existed in some way. It's not that, that, homo- that homosexuality didn't exist, but it didn't exist in the form of long-term, loving, committed, monogamous homosexuality. Not even a thing, not even on their radar. All, uh, all homosexuality at that time had a massive amount of corruption and really overt perversity to it. That's what homosexuality meant. It was corrupt. It was perverse. It it showed up, and we know this through all sorts of historical writing, and we know it even from biblical biblical accounts like we see in Sodom and Gomorrah. Homosexuality existed in forms like pedophilia. It existed in forms like rape. Uh, It existed in powerful people exerting their power and dominion over their slaves, and their servants, uh, and boys, and all of these kind of things that we would, of course, say, that's corrupt, that's wrong, that should never happen. Uh, Or it was just flat-out adultery, because this is a culture where everyone was married, where everyone uh, everyone would have had a heterosexual relationship at the time, so to engage in any sort of homosexuality would have meant cheating on your spouse. It would have meant cheating on your your wife, which is adultery, also corrupt, uh, also perverse. So all homosexuality at this time would have been overtly and obviously corrupt. No way about it. So, Uh, I I know that doesn't really prove homosexuality to be either ethical or unethical, but since the writer is not condemning long-term, loving, committed, monogamous homosexuality because that wasn't a thing that was even allowed to exist, then what if long-term, loving, committed, monogamous homosexuality wasn't ever actually prohibited? What, what if the actual prohibition here and in all the other four places in Scripture that it's mentioned is actually a prohibition of sexual immorality of all kinds, of pedophilia and rape and adultery and any kind of sexual corruption, however it emerges, of lust and pornography, and sex trafficking, and sexual harassment, and sexual immorality of all kinds, and a prohibition of the kind of relationship, uh, and, and not a prohibition of the kind of relationship that my Jesus-loving gay friends, Eric and Kim and Michelle and Diana and Brandy and Catherine, 
have with their long-term, loving, committed, monogamous, married partners. Okay. Now, I know, I know some of you don't agree with that, and that is, I'm serious, that's fine. I'm serious. Honestly, really, it is. And I'm not totally sure what I think on the issue. Obviously, I just asked some questions and didn't make any statements because I don't have it 100% settled in my brain either. Uh, so I'm certainly not going to force some theological or biblical position on any of you, or especially not on us collectively as a church. There's freedom to disagree on this issue. I believe that wholeheartedly. Trust me, I do. I, I do view this as a gray issue. I, I don't think it's as cut and dry as I once thought it was. So I continue to learn and grow and evolve and study. And, and, and I hope that we all will do that with all areas of, of faithfulness and biblical understanding. But I can boldly and adamantly declare one thing about this issue with black and white certainty. And really, it reinforces the main point that I'm trying to make uh, this morning with this entire sermon. Uh, regardless of where we fall on the ethics of homosexuality, we are called to love gay people. I can say that with black and white certainty. And, and, uh, and boldly and adamantly. Regardless of where we fall on the ethics of homosexuality, we are called to love gay people, period. It doesn't mean you have to endorse behaviors, but you do need to love. I need to, and, and I struggle with it too. Uh, we need to love. Remember, that's what this whole section of Leviticus is about. It, it's, it's what all of God's laws hang on. We are to love our neighbors, and that includes gay people. Our job isn't to judge. I think God will take care of that the way that he sees fit. Our job isn't a scapegoat, like we talked about last week. I think that Jesus ended that broken system by being uh, our ultimate scapegoat, and so we need not do that any longer to any group of people. Our job is simply to love, to show grace, to remember that we all have sinned and God showed us grace in our weakness. We are called to be people who love our neighbors and bless the whole world, and that includes gay people. Uh, for those of us who are at, at a family camp, like David Blackwell said a number of times in his messages, someday when we stand in the presence of God, I don't think he's going to be upset that we showed too much love or offered too much grace. I think he'd rather we err on that side. Uh, so, to conclude, again, uh, this section is bigger than one issue. It's about sexuality in general, and more specifically than that, it's about loving our neighbors and being a blessing to the world. It's about making sure that our sexuality uh, is never a harmful curse, but only a holy blessing. It's about working for justice and righteousness for all. It's about standing up for the oppressed and siding with the marginalized. 
because we worship a God who brought us out of our metaphorical Egypts and into the promised land of his grace, love, and blessing. So let's leave here this morning committed to doing that for others, to working for justice, to caring for the poor, to housing the homeless, to offering forgiveness, to working toward a healthy sexual ethic in all avenues of sexuality. Let's leave here this morning committed to loving our neighbors and blessing the world. Let's love because God first loved us. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word, for how it stretches us, for how it calls us out in the times where we want to be judgmental and you tell us not to, for the times in which we want to be unloving and you remind us to love. I'm really grateful for your word this morning. God, would you help us to seek holiness as a means toward loving our neighbors and blessing our world. Would you help us to get our lives in tune with you, in sync with the way that you would want us to live our lives, because that is your original calling, that we would walk with you, that we would live with you in peace and in harmony, that we would walk in the garden with you, and that we would, all, we would do that all within uh, an ethic of love. Give us the courage to be people who love, even, even when it's with people that we disagree with, even when it's with people that we think are wrong. Help us to love well. In Jesus' name, amen.